The federal court ruling has the Small Business Administration rethinking what it takes to join its disadvantaged business programs. SBA automatically considered small businesses to be socially disadvantaged and eligible for its 8A program if the owner identified as a racial or ethnic minority. But a federal judge is setting a higher bar for small companies to prove their disadvantaged status. We get the latest from Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. And just review for us for a moment, Jory, what led to these changes, the lawsuit. Right. Yeah, it's quite a journey of how we got here. This is the result of a ruling from the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Tennessee in a lawsuit where SB actually was not even a party in it. It was against the Agriculture Department, a women-owned small business called Ultima Services Corporation. They brought the suit against USDA when it placed Ultima's previous contract, which it was up to uh, re, uh, renew into the 8A program, which is set aside for small disadvantaged businesses of some social or economic variable. And so Ultima sued saying this was race-based discrimination and that the contractor here was not able to recompete for this contract because it wasn't 8A. And so as a result, we got this ruling from this district court judge. He had pointed to some other recent rulings over at the Supreme Court where there were some changes in affirmative action in colleges' missions. And he said that in government programs, there has to be a logical endpoint for racially conscious government programs. Right. And this was kind of expected that that Supreme Court ruling might cascade down to various areas of business. And so the SBA suspended 8A for a while, and now it is reacting in a more positive way. What are they doing right now? Right. So specifically what SBA is doing is they are now requiring firms to submit a narrative statement in addition to everything else that they're providing for the program, uh, explaining their social disadvantage or their economic disadvantage to outline specific examples of how they were you know, denied opportunities that other small firms that are not of a racial minority might experience. One thing to point out here, Alaska Native corporations, Native Hawaiian organizations, and Indian tribes that own small businesses, they are exempt from that narrative at this point in the machinations of this ruling. I spoke with Rob Wong. He's a former SBA executive. He now advises 8A firms on how to navigate the ins and outs of government contracting. He talks a little bit about what these changes and these new requirements means for small businesses. It's not hard, but it's arduous. It's not hard, but it, it, it can be emotional. But at the end of the day, this is the evolution of the law. They didn't take the program away. I think that personally, I think that there's still a need, compelling government need to have diversity in government contracting. And there's this compelling need to have small business government contracting. All right. And so what does this all mean for people that might want to join the program now in anticipation of maybe doing business in the coming fiscal year? Right. So for the time being, SBA has continued to put a temporary pause on new applicants to the 8A Disadvantaged Business Program. This is something that we're watching. And of course, this evolves uh, as SBA gets more familiar with its remedy to this court ruling. But for now, there, that pause remains in place. And they've got to make these changes such that the narrative can be incorporated into the process. What else does SBA have to do, I guess, to its own internal operations and so forth to implement the changes it's planning? Right. Well, this is a challenging time for this ruling to go in effect and for SBA to honor 
that ruling because this is a time where we're in the final days and weeks of the fiscal 2023 year. This is when a lot of spending is happening in that final lead up to fiscal 2024. A lot of these dollars have been obligated but not yet sent out the door. And I spoke with Wong who said that he's been hearing from clients who have submitted these narratives to SBA and they've gotten notes back. They've gotten clarifying questions. This is not just a check the box exercise. This is something that SBA is going over with a fine-tooth comb. And so here's what Wong has said based on what he's heard back from his clients. SBA would be well in their right to give you one opportunity only. And if you didn't carry the day, you're going to lose that opportunity. And as I said before, for a lot of small businesses, you know, they've worked all year long to get these contracts awarded at the end of the fiscal year. And that's what's at risk. Yeah. So this fiscal year looks like sort of an unraveling of this. And then we have to hope that SBA gets this straightened out in 2024, fiscal 2024, which doesn't give them much time either. No matter how you look at it, there's not a whole lot of runway here. One thing to look at longer term, we saw that the Biden administration a couple of years ago actually set a higher goal for more of these federal contracting dollars to go to 8A firms. They are looking for the total federal spend to go from 10% to 15% by 2025. It's unclear whether these new requirements for 8A businesses will uh, result in fewer firms getting that approval each year, or even if it results in agencies being able to meet that 15% goal in 2025. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. And be sure to check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, joined Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity and hard work. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome, and thank you for being here. Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure. mine. You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Anniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years past 1981, and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How's your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted the way you view your role now as the union's leader? The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground because as I was entering into the role of unionism, I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role even as the union leader, as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people, uh, and that's what I do. And And I think that my training as a pastor and as a union 
uh, leader has given me the ability to really, you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a livable wage. It's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both uh, arenas. So, so I've seen this, you know, as ministry, as I've grown through the four decades of leading people. Putting those two together is amazing. AFGE handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts, and how do you manage it all? Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff, okay? Uh, Because it's just no way that I could manage all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always makes sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot, and please understand when I say I cannot, it's, it's, it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Um, and I tell anybody that, but I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of AFG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition. Because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it, okay? They're the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision, right? And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching a vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done. As CEO at, at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that. We rely on them. It's not Absolutely. just nice to have. We rely on Absolutely. them. Absolutely. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style? You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders get me excited. To hear the words, who are we? And the chants that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces when they're fighting for a cause. And and, and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice. You can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. You know, I just know that it's right when I'm standing there and I feel this. And I never fail to say thank you again because I'm the one that merely cast the vision. They are the ones that get the work done. And so when I see them out there ready to go and that call to action goes out, and then I see them really begin to march on that uh, initiative. It's an energy that I cannot explain. I can explain it. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> um, the, the, describe how your personal background and upbringing folds into how you function as a leader. You know, understanding that I was born in the Deep South. I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but, but I was born to a set of parents that believed and trusted in God. And that began to establish who I was. 
I begin to trust God myself in everything that I do. I, I trust God even in this situation as a union leader because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible. And with that came do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right. Treat people with respect, right? Do what's right. It taught me, you know, about integrity, right? It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed in the role of a leader of this union. It's it's needed, uh, and, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the Deep South, you know, you you, you just learn those things, and that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice that whole approach because you don't have multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's it's always straightforward, yes. honest. Here's the truth. Yes. And it, it's it's easy. Yes. Right? Yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice if you could go back and tell yourself when you were starting your career? You know, I don't know you're asking for one, but I'm, I'm going to have to elaborate on two, yeah, if that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do, but integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. And so I, I would really begin to stress that importance more so at an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part. Okay. I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always, and I'm going back to my roots, always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer, right? Because I just believe that if you want it, bad enough. If you want to achieve it, you can. It's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. So when I look at AFGE and its membership and where we were four or five years ago and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. And one question that's always kind of interesting at, at the end of our time together is, is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, mm-hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you might even think back on today? It was my grandmother, you know, with the understanding that when, and when I was born, right, as I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. As a matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. But my grandmother would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. Suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now. And it's all because of my faith and my belief and my prayer life. And I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing all of it with us, Everett. And really appreciate you being on the show today. Pleasure is mine.
And this is Shane Canfield. We'll see you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.